I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. temperatures in the low 50s, not a cloud in the sky, it's crisp in the air. For January, anybody that's complaining, they can just shoot themselves because this is perfect weather. Yeah, it's a little cool, but you'll get over that. We don't have the ice, we don't have the snow that the East Coast is getting and the Midwest, so you can be thankful about that. And I've talked to my Sun up in Tulsa, they've had a couple of decent snows, but nothing like it was. God, I think it was like 10 or 11 years ago when he was going to fly out and pick his sister up in Tennessee and drive her and her three girls back here for Christmas. He almost couldn't get out of his parking lot at the apartment complex that he lived in. So it's nothing like that. It's just crisp. It's cold. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need that now and then to remind us why we don't want to live up north. I mean, I was born in Ohio, spent nine years in Delaware. I was young. I loved the snows that we got in Delaware, moved to Tulsa. You know, we'd get a good snow every three or four years, nothing major. But coming down to Dallas, all we get is we get snow, it's rare, but we do get that mist and freezing rain, and then all hell breaks loose. Hell, I remember I was working for a utility contractor, and it was on a normal day, it was about a 15 minute drive. It took almost an hour and 20 minutes to drive 10 miles. I think that's how far the office was. It was horrible. And that was just a very light, light bit of freezing rain. The roads, for the most part, really weren't that bad. It's the drivers that made it horrible. It's like, why don't y'all just stay home? You're just getting in the way. What the hell is wrong with you? All right, enough of the forecast. I usually talk about going to Dustin's Friday night. Well, we did not attend because Jerry and Patty got sick. They don't have COVID. They just got, it sounds like, a winter flu. So they've been down and out, and I had plenty of food. Didn't know if anyone else was gone, so just hung out. But I'm happy to report that, uh, according to Patty, they're both doing well, just Knock them down for a little bit, and they're on the mend. So that's good to know. I'm sure we will be reconvening next Friday. Because I need to talk to Patty about my upcoming release, Roadkill. That book was seven years in the making. I started it 
and then just kind of let it lie. And a lot of the guys that are in the book that live at the hotel, they would occasionally ask, so what's the status? Well, before Christmas, I finally decided to get off my dead ass and do something with it. And it's finished. Now they're going through it. Three people are reading it right now. And if you're interested in an advanced reader's copy, send me an email at jdawson41 at netzero.net and I will send you one. But it, that it will come from a different account, probably my LDDJ. Uh, is that it? LDDJconstruction at gmail.com. I think so. But it's too big of a file for net zero to handle. I found that out, but I do get a better response there. Plan is to release it at the end of this month. And it's not a long read. It's only 20,000 words. But if you like a lot of uh, people getting shot just because... It's uh, it's full of that. And the ending, I'm very proud of the ending. Not, I think I'm going to stick with it because uh, I already know some people are going to say, well, that ending sucked. Well, yes and no. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But uh, it does keep you, it, it will make you think it's like, damn, I wonder what happened. Because for me, Books don't always have to have a clean ending. You want to tie things up, but every once in a while, you want to think that, huh, what if this? Well, there's plenty of, in the last couple of sentences, you get a lot of, well, gee, I really wonder what happened. Can't tell you, because that's what the characters decided they wanted to do. But I'll say this much. The book is based off of an actual event that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, back in the 70s when they were building US-169. I was working for Tulsa Paving, and uh, Orville Cobb, one of the operators, told me when they were moving dirt out there, one of the guys was dragging a scraper. And they suddenly, they just hit with this pungent smell. They didn't know what it was. Well, come to find out, they had uncovered a mass grave. They found three bodies that had been killed execution style. Now, that's the premise of the book. And that's why it's called Roadkill. Well, you get to find out who those people were and how they were killed and why they were killed. And the bottom line is there is a drug cartel moving in from Mexico into the Tulsa, Stillwater, Muskogee area. And they're wanting to centralize their distribution there. And instead of going from the, from the West Coast and the East Coast in, they're going to use the Tulsa area and go out and the Port of Catoosa plays a big role in the logistics of how they're moving their new product. So that's the basic summary of the book. I still got to write the blurb on it and then just wait for the 
three readers I have right now to send me their comments and corrections. And then we can let this thing fly at the end of the month. So I'm excited about that. And that's why I need Patty to get well, because she was giving me some excellent insight and was catching a lot of little words, even though I've read through it like two times already. As a writer, we're going to miss a lot of stuff. It's just the way it happens. Since we wrote the story, it's difficult for us to really concentrate on a lot of the little words like A and B and D. We just, our brain says it, but our fingers don't type it. And that's why you got to have a good editor and good proofreaders. They will catch all these things because as writers, we won't. And I have learned that in the 10 years that I've been writing. Okay, on the subscriptions, it's $2.99, $5.99, $9.99 to listen to all the episodes from BBS Radio that they have archived for the last, I believe, we're going on, let's see, August, September, October, November, December, January. Uh, that'd be, I can't even do it, 18 months we've been doing this. A lot of good information out there. Because I don't parrot the press, any of them. And my content is a completely different analysis. I don't like any of the news organizations. I don't like any of the sports announcers. For those of you who listen to the show, you know that. Every once in a while, I'll find one I do. But overall, I'm just tired of their BS and their bullshit analysis because that's all it is. It's just crap. Just stick to the facts. Give your audience the facts and move forward. And we'll get into that a little more in Biden's press conference. But those are subscription rates. And they've also got some other ones that I really didn't look into, but they've got a platinum. And I think that's $48. And I forgot what the other one is. And I'm not sure what extra content you get with that. So that falls on me for being a dumbass and not researching that. But they've got like five different subscription rates to get all this information. I am pushing these management training seminars from my book, Cutting to the Chase. And the more I listen to people and, you know, what little news I do watch and just talking to people, one of the biggest words that keeps coming up is accountability and no one's accountable. Everybody wants to blame somebody, but when it comes down to it, nobody wants to be accountable. That is one of the biggest messages that I stress in these seminars is accountability. You make a mistake, raise your hand, deal with it, move on. Because if you don't, then everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. It really is that simple. And meetings, how many have people have sat in meetings for an hour and nothing has been discussed? Nothing has been resolved. I have sat in my fair share of them where one meeting lasted an hour and 10 minutes. Nothing got, the reason we were there was never addressed. Well, it came to my turn. They wanted to end it. My boss looked at me and goes, well, Jeff, you got anything to say? I summed everything up in less than 10 minutes. And the people holding the meeting, the general contractor, they didn't have any answers. And I said, well, then why are we here? 
I have brought this issue up multiple times and it's still not addressed. So that's why we're here today because we hit a utility line because you wouldn't do your job. That got resolved. But they wanted to talk about more meetings and more paperwork and more communication. Oh, what a bunch of crap. I was communicating. Very simple. Who's going to locate the utilities on this job? That's it. That was my question. They didn't act until we hit one. I'm just glad it wasn't a power line or a gas line. That would have been disastrous because this was on a the uh, UTD campus in Richardson. Luckily, we just hit a fiber line that hit that only fed one building, but a power or a gas. Oh, God, it would have been horrendous. But if you're going to have a meeting, know what the agenda is, stick to the agenda, and get it covered. If it takes 10 minutes, it takes 10 minutes. If it takes 30, it takes 30. If it takes an hour, you got one hell of a mess on your hands. And that tells me that this has been an underlying issue that nobody wanted to address. And I've been in those meetings where everybody starts pointing fingers. Well, when I show up, we ain't pointing fingers anymore. We're going to go right through what happened. And we're going to look at who was responsible in each of these steps. And it's not that we're calling them out. It's just like, here's where it happened. You did it. Just say you did it. Okay, I did it. Now we can move forward. If you want to blame one of your coworkers that wasn't involved in it, well, that just muddies the water. It gets nothing accomplished, and everyone gets, stays pissed off, and the company morale goes down. It is amazing what happens when people are accountable for their actions, how it affects everyone around them. And I've mentioned this before. That was one of the first things I mentioned when I went to work for Mikey. If I make a mistake, I will raise my hand. And this gal looked at me and goes, what are you smoking? And I said, why? Nobody here admits to making a mistake. And I said, not on my, not on my watch. If I make a mistake, I'll be the first one to admit it. And that's what I, that is the message that I passed on to all of the foremen. Make a mistake, admit it, tell me, we can fix it and move forward. But you don't tell me and it comes in the back door, then all hell's going to break loose. And the only person you have to blame is yourself for trying to hide it. Don't hide it. Hell, we had a brand new boring machine. I was out there with the guys on 635 and Skillman. It was rock. I didn't realize the anchors which are really piss poor and Vermeer needs to review that design. They couldn't grip the rock. So the machine was slowly moving back, but you couldn't see it because there's a lot of water. So there was a lot of mud. <clears throat> and I couldn't see that it was sliding back until I looked behind me because we'd cut out part of the uh, embankment that was solid rock. Well, there is a protective cover for the uh, chain that feeds the pipe into its slot, and they you keep adding on and keep drilling. It got it pushed up and it got bent. Well, the shop called me up and said, "Do you know what happened to that brand new machine?" And I said, "Yeah, I do." 
Well, how do you know? Well, I was standing there. Why did you tell him to stop? And I said, because when I turned around and saw it, then I was like, the operator's name was Ben. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. And he turned around and he was like, oh, shit. Now, should that have been the operators? Because he was the foreman. Was that his responsibility? Yes. But I'm the project manager, so I'm over him. And when they tried to blame the operator, I said, no, 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 no. He was drilling. He was watching his instruments. He didn't look behind. He didn't know the machine was slowly inching backwards. I'm the one that noticed it. Well, you didn't fill out a report. No, I didn't. I did not fill out a report on that. You want me to fill out a safety accident report? I will do that. So that alleviated Ben of that responsibility. But before that, people that I knew that they would have blamed the operator. He didn't know what was going on. Just admit you made a mistake, whether you did or you didn't. And in this case, it wasn't my fault. It didn't matter. I was the main guy. So it's going to fall on me. Okay. It was that simple. And it was fixed and there was no more backlash. So just be accountable, take responsibility. And those are the things I cover in my seminar, and they are affordable rates. I'm not going to break your bank because that's pointless. Okay. And you can contact me through jdawson41 and netzero.net or... My personal number is 817-938-8461. I will return your call and you'll set up a meeting. Now, if you want to call into the show as we go forward and you have comments to some of the topics I'm covering, those numbers are 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. Herbalife. Yes, I am still doing my Herbalife every day. And I feel better. I haven't lost the weight that I want to because I think I got something medically going on in my stomach, but I don't know. It's not major, but it's interfering because when I did this seven years ago, I lost 25 pounds in two months. But since then, something is going on that needs to be checked out. And I'm sure it's not major. But on the health side, The, I will know in March, when I get a PSA done, how that treatment worked out. We did a bone scan yesterday and it came out clean. Apparently I've broken a rib or damaged a rib long time ago because they noticed that in the first scan, but they weren't sure what exactly it was. We did the scan yesterday and they said it hasn't changed. So this is from, uh, this is trauma from a, earlier injury and it could have been when I fell out of that truck 12 years ago that wound up really damaging my back because I wound up having two back surgeries so I probably cracked a rib when I hit that pavement and now this is where accountability comes in some people said well you should have sued your employer you should have done this no because I remember what I did. I was being stupid. 
I grabbed two shovels out of the back of one of the foreman's trucks, which I shouldn't have. Should have only gotten one. Lost my balance getting out of the truck. Fell and just smacked onto the pavement. Luckily, I had my hard hat on. Otherwise, that could have done some severe, caused some severe brain trauma. Not that I don't need that. I'm sure there's plenty of people who would agree with that statement. But it is what it is. But Herbalife is really helping me. It's maintaining my weight. I'm not hungry. And if you haven't used the products, give me a shout. The shakes, I do one a day. They're great. I've got the uh, meal bars that I use as a snack. That works great. It suppresses your appetite, but it keeps your metabolism going. And that's the whole thing that Herbalife is geared around is getting your metabolism up. You get your metabolism up because we all remember when we were young and our teenagers or 20s or 30s. Hell, I was in my best shape in my 40s. Get that metabolism up and it's constantly in motion, you will lose the weight. That's just basic fact. The Woodall Foundation. Now, this is interesting because Mr. Clark Collins is Clark Collins is in town. And he was reminiscing and sharing some stories with me. And he mentioned this deaf camp in Colorado. And it's like, well, I didn't mention it to him, but that's one of my favorite charities, the Woodall Foundation. Look him up on Facebook. Daniel and Becky are doing the Lord's work. It's all there is to it. They go to Moldavia at least once a year spend a couple of months over there with all the deaf children and parents. And not only do they teach them sign, but they, it is a ministry. And when I see her posts on Facebook, she is never negative. She is always positive. It is a great foundation where if you contribute to them, it is money well spent because that's what it's going to. It's not going to a lifestyle it's not going to fancy cars or clothes. It's going to promote their ministry to the deaf. Excellent foundation. And we lost another good friend this week, Tommy Johnson. On the last show, I talked about Bears Brigosian. And Bears and Tommy knew each other. We lost Tommy Monday. Cause of death is unknown at this time, but he was a gentle giant. He uh, played football for the Oakland Raiders for three years. And he actually said he, I believe he played football for Wilmer Hutchins and uh, they were going to retire his Jersey either this summer or next year, and he was all excited about that because he was their lead tackler for like 20 years until his record was broken last season. And I'm dedicating the book Roadkill to him because I asked him, what do you think about being in a book? And he thought that'd be pretty cool. So I put him in there, and I'm dedicating the book to him. I thought that was the right thing to do. 
Okay, book review. Now, this is an interesting book that I read, A New Pair of Glasses. And I found this. Let's see. Where's my copy? The author is Chuck C. And you will find out in the book that uh, that stands for Charles A. Chamberlain. And this book was released the year that he passed away. Well, I found this when I was going through my good friend Bears Bergosian's belongings and sorting stuff and getting it ready to transport to the family in California and anything else of value that the family would like. Bears freely admitted that he was in AA. He had to check himself into Betty Ford. He realized he had a severe drinking problem and it needed to be corrected. And he met a lot of interesting people, but he spoke highly of it. In fact, I found uh, two anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous books, and I'm going to read those. Those are long, though. But this one is like, I wonder what this is about. Well, it was really rather enlightening. And this is my review. I found this book in the belongings of a good friend who recently passed. He was an advocate for AA and a member. I thought I'd take the time to read what he was into. This is an interesting work. It's not a book per se, but a transcription from one of the retreats. I'll admit it's not an easy read, but it's extremely informative. One will find a lot of repetition in the presentation, but then that's what it takes to drive points home. Chuck C. doesn't hold back as he describes his battle with the addiction and how it ruined his life. He makes light of this many, many times, and he does not sugarcoat anything. The one message that he drives home is, if you don't have God in your life, everything else is a waste. No matter how hard you try to control your own life, if God is absent, you will continue to wander, wondering why things are happening. He talks about seeing doctors, priests, ministers, psychiatrists, etc. While their advice was heard, it never brought him the peace and understanding he was seeking. But when he went home and knocked on the door of his old friend, everything in his life started to fall back into place. I'm not an alcoholic, but that doesn't mean this doesn't have a place for me. It reminded me of the final message Joel Osteen uses when he closes out a sermon. If you're a Christian but have become cold to God, I want to pray for you. Please stand up and receive his blessings. That is exactly what Chuck C. did. He stood up, walked to the door, and called on an old friend asking for help. He was amazed when the door opened. He was allowed to enter and have a seat with no judgment. That, for me, is the strongest message in this story. And it really is. That is the one thing that he goes over and over and over about, is his faith and his belief in God. And he said without it, he was lost. It didn't matter how many things he tried to change. Every time he tried, it failed. And that was his turning point. And it's it's not a long book. It's only, damn, I think I read this in like three hours or something, 143 pages. It's not a hard read. It, it is. Like I said, it is repetitious at times, but it's an excellent story. And it shows what 
pulled him out. I mean, he went on a binge on, what was it, Christmas Eve? He got drunk because his boss gave him $3,000 as a bonus, and he didn't come out of it till mid-January. And he admitted he'd lost everything. I mean, not literally, but in his mind, <clears throat> it was gone. His wife, his kids, his job. And he had to fight to regain what he had lost. But when he turned his life, when he knocked on that door and let God come back into his life, it all changed. Every bit of it. And he makes no bones about it. He makes no apologies. But he's not preaching to you. He's talking to you. He's letting you know, this is what my God has done for me. Would you like that to happen in your life? He makes it a question. And if you answer yes, then he's going to help you do it. So really, it's, it's, it's a fascinating read. Great story. I am so glad I got to read it because it would not have been on my normal reading list, to say the least. But it gave me an insight into uh, what Bears was reading and he had underlined several passages that he felt were very important to him. I wish I'd have read it before he passed so we could talk about the book, but that didn't happen. So I can only make my own assumptions and think about it, but it's, it's great. And then 2022 has started off with losing you know, we lost Betty White. And I forgot who else we lost, but we lost Meatloaf a couple of days ago. And I will admit, I was, when Bat Out of Hell first came out, I was not a fan. I was still listening to the 50s and 60s, oldies in my F100. I don't even think I had an FM radio. So I'm listening to the AM stations. But uh, when I went to college, my roommate, Paul Glass, he had a kick-ass stereo. It was just kick-ass. It was all discontinued items, but they were the best. And that's what he would buy. He bought Infinity speakers. He got them for like 80% off. His turntable, his uh, tuner. That was a pioneer, but it was all been discontinued and he had a good contact at the store he went to and they'd let him know, okay, the discontinued it. This is the price. So his stereo was kick-ass. Well, that's where I was introduced to Meatloaf and Paradise by the Dashboard Lights in quality stereo. Now, I had seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, but I wasn't still a hardcore Meatloaf fan. But that song, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, yeah, if you've heard the song, you know what it's about. And you all have heard me talk about Debbie Beck. And I hear that song and I think of her because, yeah, 
that was us in my pickup truck having more fun than the law allowed i'm just glad when the law did show up they didn't haul us in because it would have been really really bad but uh he will be missed his music will live on and i'll listen to that song and i'll thank you debbie yeah, I still miss her. All right, baseball update. Well, there's nothing to update. The owners and the players are just doing what they usually do, which is nothing other than taking up space. And I don't know if they're going to come to terms on this one. The first report I saw was all about the minor league players. Well, now the MLB players want to cut arbitration back to two years because they're using <coughs> Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as their poster boy. The look what he did this year and look what he's making. It's like, wham, wham, wham. I don't give two shits. Man can't live on $607,000 a year. He needs a financial consultant. You know, Pete Incavillia pulled that crap when he was with the Rangers and tried to sit out his third year because he wanted to renegotiate because he'd had a great second year. And the Rangers said, has hell frozen over and we missed the memo? I don't think so. You're not eligible until you put in another year. Pete sat out a season. Good for the Rangers. He came back, he finished up his third season, and they shipped his ass to Philadelphia. But uh, I, I don't see them coming to terms. And I really hope the owners just stick to their guns for a chance. So far, they have never held true. They always cave and give in. Well, maybe this will be the time the owners stand up and say, enough is enough. You know, you want the minor league guys to make more money? Well, we're going to take the top 10% earners in MLB, and you're going to contribute a portion of your salary to fund the minor leaguers. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. But if that's what you want, well, then you need to contribute to the cause. Try something new instead of being me, 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 me. I mean, you look at what the Rangers, what they're paying Seager and, uh, oh, damn, I forgot the other guy's name. That's how excited I am about their trade. Uh, you can give 2% of your contract to the miners so we can pay these guys a, living, a better living wage. Yeah, that's not going to happen. They want a lot, but they don't want to give anything up. You know, and that goes back to being accountable. When I was at MICA, I always told the guys, if you're working, I'm working. And we were working days and nights. And my superintendent, John, I didn't need him working nights. I needed him in the day. I could handle the nights. Well, I also did my paperwork in the day. So if I worked 18 to 20 hour days, seven days a week, that's what I did. And sometimes I just go ahead and work 24 for like three days and then take a break. But I wanted those guys to know that I'm there. You need help. 
I'm there. That's being accountable. Okay, let me get back to baseball. A friend of mine, Cheryl, sent me a little notice about the Hall of Fame voting. And the name Bobby Abreu came up. And she wanted to know what I thought about it. And the current debate that's going on. Well, I looked up his stats. And let's go through those real quick. Played 2,425 games over 18 seasons. Had a 290 batting average. 1,453 runs, 574 doubles, 59 triples, 288 home runs, 1,363 RBIs, 400 stolen bases, 1,476 walks, 395 on-base percentage, 475 slugging percentage, 982 fielding percentage in all three outfield positions. In 20 postseason games, he hit 284, nine runs, six doubles, one homer, nine RBI, two stolen bases, and 12 walks. Those are pretty good stats, but not for the Hall of Fame. Because then you have to compare them to other players. And the Hall of Fame has become so diluted at times that I really don't know what to make of it. Has it become a popularity contest or has it become a stat contest? And then then these guys with other saber metrics step in there. Well, what about his war? Well, I don't give two shits about that war stat. That was just made up by a bunch of morons that have nothing else to do but hang out in their basement and play Dungeons and Dragons or something. I mean, get a life. Uh, ever since sabermetrics came in, it's just mind-boggling bullshit. That's about it. No one's saying Abreu wasn't a great player, but is he a Hall of Fame player? No. And then there was this debate about, here we go with Nolan Ryan again, and people saying he wasn't that good, and he's overrated, blah, blah, blah. The man struck out over 5,000 people. He had one season with the Mets where he got his ring, Then he went to the Angels, who were horrible. Then he went to the Astros, who were horrible. Then he went to the Rangers, who were mediocre. So it's not like he played on some of the greatest teams in baseball. Imagine if he'd have played for the Yankees. What would his stats have been there? I really get ill talking about Nolan Ryan. It's like, let the man go. He's a Hall of Famer. You don't like it, move on. Any of these guys today, go? can they pitch 17 innings? No. If they pitch five or six, you all think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Ooh, look, he went six innings. He's making $20 million a year. He's great. Bullshit. No, he's not. He's paid to pitch nine innings. And that's what Ryan said in his interviews. When we took that mound, we knew we're going nine, not two, not five. But if they pitch six, all these analysts want to say that was a quality start. My ass. You know, you got 15 pitchers on the roster of 27. 
You got no one on the bench anymore because you got all these people out in the bullpen. This baseball is so screwed up right now when it comes to pitchers. It makes me ill. Let's go back to the day of three starters and a closer. You want a middle reliever? Get a middle reliever. So there's five guys, maybe six in the bullpen. Oh, but that makes sense. You know, baseball is not looking at their problem. Their problem is their pitchers. Why is it every year when you look at the injury report before the season and at the all-star break, half of them are pitchers? I've discussed this before. There is something seriously wrong with how kids are being taught to pitch. They're not. The coaches want to win at any cost. They don't care how it happens. And that's why we're getting all these damaged arms. That's what I'm convinced of. And I've umpired. I've watched these kids pitch. It's horrendous. They have no form. They have no mechanics. They're all throwing with their arm, not with their body. Nolan Ryan said it best. The pitch starts at your toe and winds up at your fingertips. And everything in between has to work in motion for that. That's why he pitched as long as he did. Don't tell me he's not a Hall of Famer. None of these guys today have that staying power, period. That's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he didn't play for the best teams. I mean, look at Charlie Huff. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he was a great pitcher. But he played for the Rangers when they were horrible. I actually asked one of these guys one day, well, how does Charlie Huff's stats shake out? And he goes, well, I've thought about him, but I haven't done it. Well, stop thinking and do it. How many one-run games did Charlie Huff lose? Because he was on a bad team. And he was. He got no run support. He was with the Texas Rangers in the 70s and 80s. Nobody got run support from him. He didn't get any support whatsoever. So as far as the baseball strike goes, I don't think anything of substance is going to be hammered out until a couple of days before the pitchers and catchers are to report. And then they might pick up the pace. But then they might not. And then that'll be the big story. Because right now, the owners locked them out. Owners didn't lock out anybody. The contract expired. They don't want to sign the new one. They don't agree with it. But it's so easy to blame the owners. They're the bad guys. Really? Well, you could say the same thing about GM and Ford and Chrysler and AMC and those companies up in Detroit where, oh, the owners won't do this and do that. And don't forget the coal companies. Oh, Really? Well, the owner said it's not feasible, it's not sustainable, and we can't afford to pay you all these wages. So if you really want that, then we're just going to shut it down. I guess that's why they call it the uh, Rust Belt. They're still shut down. How'd that work out for all those guys and gals that lost their jobs? I'm sure the union had their back, my ass. Yeah, Biden, you can take your union and stick it up your ass. Excuse me. Okay, college football, the final rankings were up. And it shook out Georgia, one, Alabama, two, Michigan, three, Cincinnati, four, Baylor, five, 
Ohio State, six, Oklahoma State, seven, Notre Dame, eight, Michigan State, nine, and OU, 10. Overall, I can't argue with that too much. But why didn't Michigan and Cincinnati fall lower than that? Because they got their asses whipped. They got stomped on like nobody's business. They were basically, if they were grapes, that had been turned into wine three times over. And they only dropped one spot. What type of crap is that? Actually, in reality, they didn't drop at all. Because Georgia and Alabama were one and two. So Michigan and Cincinnati, hey, get your ass handed to you. You don't lose. Baylor being ahead of Oklahoma State, no, okay, I could see that. But OSU had a much better bowl appearance than Baylor. The only good thing is great recruiting for Oklahoma State. They did what I didn't think they could do, and they beat Notre Dame and beat them squarely. Man, they lit up the third quarter, something they hadn't done all season. They really got into Notre Dame in the third quarter. They didn't lose the momentum. Sanders didn't make any stupid mistakes. So overall, hey, that was a good thing. So I I can't complain. Really helps Gundy in his recruiting for 2022 and moving forward. So that's a good thing. Okay, Beijing Olympics. I talked about this two weeks ago. Why the hell are we going? Can anyone tell me that? Oh, that's right. Biden said no diplomats are going. Like the Chinese give two shits. You pull the U.S. teams out, and that really just debunks the Olympics. We are the predominant country when it comes to superior athletes. You want to make a statement, Joe? You do what Jimmy Carter did. I didn't agree with a lot of Jimmy Carter, but when he said, we're not going to the Summer Olympics, Russia, because you invaded Afghanistan, he was about civil rights. He was about human rights. Joe says the same thing, but as usual, He is pathetically poor in executing a policy. You want to make a statement? We don't compete. We don't go. And NBC, I don't know what you pay to televise them to the Chinese government, but uh, you'll have to do what you, I think you all had the 1980 Olympics. You're just going to have to swallow it and eat it. But you won't do that because money's involved. You can't handle the pressure. You're spineless. You aren't accountable. You all talk about all these social injustices and how you want change. Well, here's your chance to make a big statement. We're not going. We aren't televising. Because your human rights policy sucks. Maybe Jimmy Carter can call Joe and say, hey, Joe, why don't you show some backbone? Do the right thing. And the right thing is, is that we don't go. You really think that will happen? Yeah, hell of a freeze over for that happens. 
<sighs> Medicare commercials. Oh, God, are you not sick of those as I am? And J.J. Walker, I have had enough. I mean, this second commercial they've done with him not only makes him look stupid with the way he's talking, but it makes the company that's producing these look stupid. I mean, he's talking like a four-year-old. And they even got George Foreman trying to talk like a four-year-old. You're talking to people in their 60s and 70s and 80s. These are intelligent people for the most part. They're educated. They made it that far in life. They didn't make it that far by being stupid. And you want to talk to them like the four-year-old? Get with it. Luckily, Namath hasn't fallen into that. But, I mean, they're actually worse than the Geico and progressive commercials. And I have talked about those before. Yes, my granddaughters like the get-go. Well, I just want to see a 10-ton weight drop on him and make him roadkill like an armadillo in West Texas. That would be really good. But do you really think the American people are that stupid? And then we've got the new Hartford commercial where the guy says, you know, the buck. Well, if you don't know who Hartford is, which these people don't, you know, the buck. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know the buck. Oh, the hell, you don't know a damn thing. You're clueless. And then when the gal says, because it's new car replacement, your new car gets damaged, we'll pay the full price because we know when you drive it off the lot, it loses 30, it depreciates 30%. And back in the day, that's all you would get paid for. Even though it's only got one or two miles on it, that $10,000 car went down to 7,000. Now we'll pay for that. We'll sign me up and sign me up because they've also got vanishing deductible, keeps going down. Sign me up. Hey, woman, have you gotten a quote yet? Have you done any comparison shopping? And you want to sign up right now? And, of course, the guy who's their spokesman, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bullshit. I want to see a quote. You say I'm going to save all this money. I want to see how that stacks up to Allstate, State Farm, Standard, the General, so on and so forth. And then we'll see if it's competitive. God, how stupid do they think we are? And what is the intelligence of the people in their marketing departments? Well, after listening to the Medicare commercials, probably along the lines of a fifth grader or a five-year-old, it's, it's really sad. It's really sad. And then when it comes to commercials, who are you tired of seeing? Oh, I can come up with one right off the bat. LeBron, I can't stand him, period. He should be living in China just like, uh, oh, Dennis Rodman should be living in North Korea. We haven't heard much from Rodman lately, have we? No, not a thing. But uh, James made it very evident a year ago that, uh, like NBC and Biden's administration, they're more interested in that Chinese basketball money than they are about human rights, even though they talk about human rights. You can talk all you want to, but if you don't act on it, what's the point? Why don't you just shut the hell up and admit 
you don't have a problem with how the Chinese oppress people, how they've set up concentration camps. And the Chinese could lose 100 million people and they wouldn't even miss them. In a country of 1.2 billion, what's 100 million? Nothing. Oh, but that's okay as long as the NBA gets their money. And now NBC gets their money. Yeah. Don't preach to me about human rights and your holier-than-thou attitudes. Because it's really a bunch of crap. And it's just lip service. But hey, if you subscribe to lip service, then you're getting plenty of it. Uh, Who else? No. Snoop Dogg. The same guy that did a video of a clown dressed up as Donald Trump and shot him in the head. And I couldn't believe when I was listening to WBAP, I think it was two months ago on the morning show. And one of those guys said, man, I think Snoop Dogg's the coolest guy on TV. I don't. And I'll be damned if I watch the uh, Super Bowl halftime show. I've seen the acts. I ain't watching any of that. Even if I do watch the game, that's to be determined who's coming up. But uh, I've had enough of him and Martha Stewart and Aaron Rodgers. They can all just disappear and they won't be missed. Take Take your liberal forum with you. Because we're tired of being bombarded about it. Yeah, there's plenty of us conservatives out there that don't agree with your stance. But but since the media is controlled by the left, we just have to find other avenues of entertainment. And uh, I'm glad we get MeTV where I live. That's a good thing. Okay, news pundits. Oh, good Lord. And people wonder why I don't watch the news. Well, here we go. If anybody watched Fox this week, I don't know if the uh, makeup artists or hairdressers at Fox quit, but uh, Ainsley ain't looking good. I mean, it looks like she's on the rag or something. She has looked sour all week. I don't know, maybe she went on a date and got jilted or something. But uh, she looks really out of sorts. But she made a statement yesterday, and I was like, woman, what did you just say? She said the Russians have 100,000 tanks on the Ukrainian border. Do what? How about 100,000 troops? But since you don't don't get fact-checked anymore, you can say what you want to. And during World War II, the T-34-76 and T-34-85 were the most produced weapons of any tank manufacturer. 84,000, 76 and 85 is what they manufactured. And the Russians have 100,000, according to Ainsley. Uh, No. But did any of her co-hosts call her out? No. 
That's why I'd be so great on that show. I would just sit there and look at them and go, what the hell did you just say? Whoa, whoa. Back up. I don't give a damn if we're getting off script or not. Back up, little blondie. And I loved it. Bears always called her a poodle. And I was like, yeah, I agree with that. And since he was, he owned poodles, it made sense. He would understand. But nobody said a word. Nobody. And Fox said again, they talked about COVID numbers. Well, I've been tracking these since April of 2020. And when I hear bullshit, I will call out bullshit. Now, they said that more people have died this year than under Trump. Well, let's look at the numbers. 800 49,566 have died. Now, that was from last Sunday. And I won't update the numbers until tomorrow. Since Biden was inaugurated, 387,529,000 have died. 410,145 since the start of the new year. 50% would be 424,783. Now, tell me how that math works. Well, it doesn't, but they can say this shit and get away with it. This is why I don't watch the news. Now, if they'd have said cases, okay, now they've got some ground to stand on. So as of last Sunday, 65,476,992 cases. Since February 6th, which I was giving a two-week grace period, 26,957,001. Okay. And then 38,519,991 since the first of the year. So who's got more cases? Well, Biden does, but not on mortalities yet. And he said he was going to defeat COVID. He's had a year. Two weeks ago was our biggest spike in cases, was just under 6 million. Now, this is what politicians do best. They bullshit and get away with it, especially when the media covers for them. He's no closer to defeating this. And he actually said during his press conference, which I'm going to get into in a minute, that like 80% of Americans are vaccinated. That Yeah, he said there was still, if there were 30 million, if, the, if 30 million would get the shot, we wouldn't have a problem. Well, that means 90% of Americans have been vaccinated. That goes against the numbers that the CDC and John Hopkins are reporting. The last time I checked, it was 56.5% of Americans have been fully vaccinated. So what the hell was he talking about? 
Okay. I appreciate that. It looks like, okay, I won't even talk about that. So what are we done? Accountability. There's no accountability here. And then if you go to CNN, of course, they are focusing on, the only thing they care about is the insurrection. And as I've said it before, that was the most poorly executed insurrection in the annals of history. Yeah, that was worse than the July 20th bomb plot on Adolf Hitler. So CNN wants to focus on that. And they also, I just love this. They had the uh, Melania's ex-chief of staff. And it was all supposition. They were talking about that Donald had a lot of secret meetings in the White House and Melania would get all bent out of shape because there were people in her house and she didn't know about it. Well, this is also the gal that released those tapes of Melania talking about Christmas, which Melania had said in confidence and in private, and this gal decided, oh, I'll just release it. So now she's one of the contributors for CNN, Communist News Network. But the whole point of it was, it's like, well, they need to subpoena them and find out who was in the house and all these private meetings. You're going to do that? Have you done that with any president? Have you done it? You're going to do it with Biden, Obama, Clinton, Carter? Both the Bushes, Nixon, oh, Nixon already got his tapes out. Johnson, Kennedy, Eisenhower, Truman, Roosevelt, no, no. You invite people to your house because it's a different environment. You're away from the office. You can relax and you can talk. Did Donald tell Milani, Milani about everyone was coming to meet him? No. And it's not like they're stuck in a 2,000 square foot ranch house. I'd have to look at the dimensions of the White House but I'm going to put it around, say, 10,000 square feet, and that's probably on the short side. So I'm sure she was extremely upset that there were people in her house and she didn't know. And that's the best CNN can come up with. And, of course, this gal was like, well, I don't know who was there either, but maybe if they send out subpoenas, we'll find out. Blow it out your ass. That's not reporting. That's all speculative crap. But that's what the news is good at, speculative crap. <clears throat> I have no time for that. None. None. Okay. HR1. It sure looks like that's dead in the water, and that's a damn good thing. Because there was a debate on Facebook about that. And all my response to these people was, I have read HR1. I read the Georgia voting bill. I read the Texas voting bill. There is nothing in there that is suppressing vote. And if you recall, the Democrats were all excited that more people came out to vote in 2020 for the presidential election than ever. And that was true. They got 80 million votes. Trump got 72. That's 150 million out of 330 million people. That's just under 50%. So whose vote was suppressed?
No one. But what they're really up in arms about, which is such a ridiculous argument, is you have to prove who you are with an ID. What's so bad about that? How do you get government assistance? How do you get a checking account? How do you cash a check at the bank? How do you get a driver's license? How do you do anything without verifying who you are? And that's really the Democrats' biggest argument. They have to prove who they are. Duh. Uh, Want to read the Constitution about citizens can vote. I'm not going to quote what it says in there, but you got to be a citizen to vote in the United States. That means you're going to have to have an ID. You're going to have to have a voting card. Oh, but that's not what the Democrats want. They don't want any of that. So I guess just let the caravans continue. Because they sure haven't slowed down. Abbott finally pulled his head out and is trying to secure the border, but he's still failing. Yes, I will not be voting for Abbott this year. He has failed at the border. He has failed with the ERCOT fiasco last February. I wish Paxton would run, but he's happy where he's at. I mean, it's not like we've got a great slew of candidates coming up this year, but uh, Abbott will not be getting my vote. I th- hell, I think I saw where Rick Perry's name was up. No, we had enough of Rick. I've got things that he did that I really don't like, but I won't get into that. Okay. I want to look at a year back. And yesterday it popped up on my Facebook. So I shared it. And when it transferred over, All the comments were gone. It's like, well, what happened there? So let's see here. I want to do, there we go. And what I had said was, you know, Joe Biden went nuts with his uh, executive orders. And my post a year ago, I was discussing... the hell did it go god don't tell me they took that down too but how many jobs he killed when he stopped the xl pipeline and that was eleven thousand. and i'll be damned oh there it is one stroke of the pen and eleven thousand good pain union jobs vanish great job joe what will you do tomorrow and there are like 90 five comments on that and they all turned which was amazing to COVID. Now why the comments didn't transfer over, I have no idea, but the gist of everyone that I know that's liberal was just hammering on how Trump was killing all these people. It was his fault. Blah, blah, blah. And just went on and on. Well, I gave you the numbers. Why aren't they hammering Joe Biden on this? 
you tell me and we'll both know. He's approaching, he's, he's got more cases than Trump did. He doesn't have the mortalities, but if we keep averaging 10,000 a week, it's, uh, if he doesn't, if the number doesn't match this week by the following Sunday, he will have exceeded that. Why aren't they hammering him? I just want fair reporting. I know that's asking a lot, but it was amazing. So where are all these people now? Why aren't they jumping up and down and screaming and hollering and carrying on? Well, then they'd have to be accountable. Here we go again with that word accountable. They don't want to be accountable. And that's one of the biggest problems with our country. People don't want to be accountable, whether it's in politics, whether it's at work. We start being accountable. We start admitting mistakes and we can get rid of a lot of this BS that's floating out there. It really is that simple. And one of his other quality executive orders was one stroke of the pen and the hardworking woman put in to getting their own sports programs recognized and funded has been placed in jeopardy. For 58 years, women have struggled and fought to gain their rightful place in sports at the high school and collegiate level and succeeded. Now it's all for naught. If Johnny can't compete with a man, he decided he wants to be a female in a man's body. What's next? Men can't make it in the MLB, NBA, or PGA. They can start deciding that they identify as a female to compete. Yeah, that was ridiculous. That was stupid. And some of the comments that popped up, one gal absolutely lost her mind. And I didn't comment on it, but someone else did, that she had 16 letters in high school. And one gal popped, no, 19. And one person said, 19, man, that's six varsity sports a year. How the hell did she do that? That gal never responded back. But she was like, well, if my daughter was on here, well, why don't you tell your daughter to get on here and have her comment? No, she wanted to speak for her daughter, which was kind of back words. Now, I like this gal, and I've known her for a long time through uh, writing. We've done a lot together. I reviewed a lot of her books, but she hasn't reviewed mine yet. And I've reminded her of that. It's like, darling, I've read three of your books and uh, I have written reviews on them. So when are you going to do the same? She hasn't responded back yet to that. But I don't think we are in a better place than we were a year ago. I really don't. I'm just wandering through here. Let's see. There we go. 
yeah, I don't think we're in a better place. You might disagree with me. That's okay. That's your choice. I'm not here to make up your mind. I'm here to state the facts as I see them and call BS on anybody. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on, especially when it comes to the media. If it's BS, it's BS. Hey, just the way it is. And I've provided some examples. Okay. Anybody watch Joe's press conference? Oh, he went a whole hour and a half. And he was so proud of that. Too bad he didn't say anything in an hour and a half. I think one of the biggest questions a guy from Univision asked was about the high prices. He asked him two questions, and one of them was about the high prices in Corpus Christi and Brownsville and how it was affecting his his people and blah, blah, blah. And Joe wouldn't even address it. He did address his first question, but he didn't address it. And then he says he's done more than any president in the first year. Such as, uh, are you really going to say you did more than FDR? I don't think so, because FDR did not go to any inaugural balls. I understand he was in a wheelchair, but uh, they could have scooted him around town to all of them. He went to work. Do you think he did more than Truman? Uh, Truman's dealing with post-World War II reconstruction. He's dealing with Russia and their grip and expansion in Eastern Europe. Uh, demobilizing our troops, rebuilding an economy. Actually, he didn't have to rebuild it. Uh, walking into the atomic age. Then you have JFK. Maybe he did more than JFK. I don't know what he's done. But I know what he hasn't done. He has done more damage in his first year than anyone else. He has signed 77 executive orders. Did you know that? Have you heard anyone talk about that? No, you haven't. In fact, it's real hard to find that now unless you go to the federal registry but that isn't always up to date. So that means Joe will sign as of right now, 308 executive orders, but I believe he's going to surpass that. I did a show on that a while back that at his current rate, he would rank like seventh. Roosevelt signed the most. 
You can go back to that episode and look it up. He, uh, what did he do? He hasn't defeated COVID, and that was the biggest thing. And he talks about uh, getting shots in the arm. I'm so sick of hearing about that, shots in the arm. I want to get a shot in your head. Get one of the vaccines in your brain. Maybe you become cognitive again. And I did love that part where a reporter asked him, well, according to the polls, like 55 or 60% of Americans don't think you're cognitive to run this, have this job. I don't listen to polls. That was his response. That was it. Yet at the end of his press conference, that's all he wanted to talk about was the polls and his approval rating. Well, some say 33 and some say 40 and some say 45 and some say 50. So on one hand, when the polls weren't in his favor, he disagreed with them. I don't listen to the polls. I don't pay attention to that. But when he thinks they're in his favor, then he wants to quote them. And then this is the hypocrisy of the right media. And yeah, I'll focus on Fox. After the 2020 election between Hannity and Carlson, they both said, and McCollum and the rest of the clowns out there that are overpaid and brainless, all the pollsters should be shut down. They should be fired. They should give refunds on their money because they blew the election results and blah, blah, blah. Yet within a month, two months, they're quoting the polls again. The same people they wanted to be put out of business that were trying to destroy their credibility, now they're quoting them. What the hell is that? Either you agree with the polls or you don't. But they were just bashing all of them because they missed the results by X amount of points, blah, blah, blah. I don't give two shits. I don't watch polls. I don't give a shit about polls. I do my research. I know who I'm going to vote for, and I move on. I don't have time for their BS because they're making a ton of money, and they're like weathermen. They're like sports announcers, broadcasters, these, quote, analysts. They can be wrong 99% of the time and still make millions of dollars a year and nobody holds them accountable. There's that word again, accountable. Like I said, what if we lived in a world where people were held accountable? What would it look like? It'd scare the living hell out of you. But he did sleep through the big global warming summit that he was pushing. Where's his czar, John Kerry? Where's he been? Haven't heard anything about him. One, he's making too much money and he's not doing shit. Maybe he'll fall into a ketchup bat at one of the Heinz companies. That'd be a fitting tribute. But uh, Joe's convinced I've done more. Okay, he did. I found a Newsweek article list, and these are the top seven things Joe's has done. A $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. I still haven't gone through all of that, but I know this much. In the broad scheme, that's not that much money. Now, remember, 
that's where Trump and Pelosi locked horns and quit talking to each other. When Pelosi came up to the Hill to talk about an infrastructure bill and Trump pretty well told her, we're not doing that. We're not doing any of that crap that you want to. And she got her panties in a wad and stormed out. That's why we didn't have one under him. Under Obama, we had those half-ass economic recovery, $900 billion. There were two of them. But they weren't long-lasting. $1.2 trillion. When you look at the United States as a whole, is nothing. If you look at the miles of highways we have, of rail we have, it's nothing. I mean, the big contracts that are going around Dallas for in Fort Worth of redoing these interstates and upgrading to HOV, those are usually $5 billion contracts. And that's for like 15 miles, maybe, you know, yeah, that one might have been 20. That's a push. But 1.2 trillion, and then a lot of this money is supposed to go to uh, getting the internet, high-speed internet to rural areas. Well, my question was, how's that going to work? Is the government over that? Are they subsidizing Verizon and AT&T? to go out and install these lines and what is their price going to be? I haven't done a lot of research on that, but I'd really like to know. So the government's got the money. How is this going to be implemented? Well, probably poorly. Okay. So we got a $1.2 million infrastructure bill. Oh, he got 1.9 trillion in COVID relief. Trump had $5 trillion. And up until Trump came up with all that money, I was really hoping in his second term he would look at the deficit. How are we going to get this under control? And my suggestion was simple. If we're bringing in $16 trillion a year, you tell Congress you can only spend $14 trillion. That's it. Yep, things are going to have to be cut. And then you could have balanced it. And back then, I think it was like eight years. No, it would have been 10 years. That's done. That's over. I haven't looked at the debt clock lately, but uh, we got to be hitting 30 trillion. And that's unsustainable. This is all unsustainable. I don't want to hear anybody say we're the richest country in the world. We are the most in debt country in the world. Our economy, as we saw a year ago, is so fragile, it is pathetic. Where companies couldn't go two weeks because they were that leveraged out. Or a month. If we get shut down for a month, we're going out of business. And this was across the board. So you all have no reserves. I remember talking to this with a good friend of mine, Ross. Our, our economy is that fragile. These companies are running that thin of a margin that if they don't have income 
for a month or two, they're just going to close the doors and call it a day. What type of crap is that? That should have scared the hell out of everyone. It did me. It's like, this is not good. Because I know in construction, we have contracts where if you can't sustain your payroll for 90 days, you don't get the job. Because it's going to take that long to get that first check. And these are usually big government jobs. But that's in the contract. They will have you submit a financial showing you can sustain 90 days without having to get a loan or asking the contractor for a early payment. Yet we have companies that can't go 60 days. This is not good. And now it's the country. Of course, it's been this way for the last 20 years. It's just getting worse. We're not the richest country. We are the most in-debt country. And this is really becoming, if it's not scaring the hell out of you, it should. Because the day that check bounces when we can't make the interest payment to, of all things, the Federal Reserve, and it bounces, the economy crashes. You know, this is one thing I didn't like about Trump, one of the many things, when he said, well, look at the stock market. Everyone knows that the stock market is not a judge of our economy. Because with Biden in office, it has gone up. It's 35,000. It is extremely inflated, horribly inflated. With our debt of close to 30 trillion, it should be probably around 15. And when this thing adjusts itself, which it will, it's going to be dynamically devastating stocks are going to crash banks are going to close it's going to be worse than the savings loan scandal of the late 80s i lived that in dallas when penn central went down in oklahoma city and then that walked into republic in dallas because the SNLs were getting their money from them, but the SNLs were giving out money that was unsecured half of the time, so they didn't even get them to sign a note, any type of loan agreement. And when those guys couldn't pay back, then the savings and loans couldn't pay back their loans to Republic, and Republic couldn't pay their loans back to Penn Central. The whole damn thing came down like a tornado, worse than dominoes falling. It was ugly. Companies went bankrupt. Bonding companies rolled over. It was but ugly. Well, that was just a mini look at what the, will happen to the country. Okay. Uh, he has number three. He has appointed 41 federal judges, more than Trump did. 80% of them are women and 53% are people of color. I don't give two shits. Are they qualified <clears throat> or is this just an agenda? I don't consider that an accomplishment. I mean, I was around when the government enacted their minority contractor program their mbes and wbes and i remember going to the meeting the city of dallas and i was like 27 or 28 still wet behind the ears sitting with all these old men 
and now I'm one of the old men. But they laid out the plan, and I listened to it, and nobody asked a question. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I have a question. Yes, miss. Yes, sir. Who are you with? Jeff Dawson, Angel Concrete. What's your question? Well, let me get this straight. You all are certifying these contractors, right? Correct. Are you qualifying them? What do you mean by qualified? What I mean is, do they have the financial backing? Are they competent? And have they done this before? No, we're not doing that. But you're certifying them. So they're turning in a piece of paper. And if they meet your guidelines, whether they've done this work or not, they're certified. Correct? Yes, you're correct. Okay. Are, and you're telling us we have to use them on jobs, correct? That's correct. And according to the contract, it's either 15 or 20%, correct? You're correct. So if you're telling us we have to use them, you've certified them for us to use. But since you didn't qualify them, if we sign a subcontract with this particular contractor, and they fail, are you going to pay us the additional monies it will cost us to hire a competent, qualified contractor? No. Well, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose? Why aren't you responsible for making sure they are who they say they are and are qualified to perform the task they are bidding on? Well, that's your job. Oh, so we're supposed to spend our time, and I hate the word, our resources to vet a subcontractor you've told us that you have certified and we have to use. Are you going to pay us for that? No. So basically, we're rolling the dice with all the people that you have certified. Does anybody else have a question out there? That's pretty much how the meeting went. So that's how I feel about judges. I don't give a damn what color you are. I don't give a damn what sex you are. I give a damn if you're qualified or not. If you're not qualified, you ain't getting the job. So I'll take that off the off the his list of quote accomplishments. And he halted all federal executions. Well, that kind of goes hand in hand with our current crime wave across the United States, doesn't it? You're not going to be held accountable. Damn, there's that word again. Accountability. There isn't any. We're going to stop federal executions. I don't consider that accomplishment at all. Support for transgender service members and reduced unemployment. Okay. Trump was right when he said, you want to be a transgender, that's fine. You pay for it yourself. The military ain't paying for it. I'm all about that. You want to switch sexes? You don't like what God gave you and you want to change it, which I don't agree with. But if you're in the military, We'll pay for it. Well, what type of people are going to apply for the military now? 
a bunch of people that don't know what sex they are, but they want the government to pay for it so they can figure out what they are. And then if they don't like those results, they can get the government to fix them back the way they were. That's not an accomplishment. That's a waste of money and it's bullshit. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. That is not an accomplishment. You want to get that done, you figure out how to pay for it yourself. It is not the American taxpayer's job to take care of that. We're only $30 trillion in debt. Oh, what's another $250,000? Well, that's how we got in this mess in the first place. What's a trillion? What's two trillion? And yeah, it started under Reagan with his Star Wars project trying to break the back of the USSR, which he did. But that's really where it started with Reagan, and we went $2 trillion in debt. We got the Russians to believe we were developing all these, the Star Wars program, which we weren't. They didn't believe it. Well, actually, they did believe it. They started spending billions of dollars that they didn't have, and their economy broke. Well, that's what's going to happen to ours if we don't pull our heads out of our collective asses and get with the program, it really isn't that hard to see. Reduced unemployment. Okay, I ragged Trump on this too. How many jobs were lost when we locked down in 2020? 22 and a half million to 25 million jobs were lost. Okay, well, slowly but surely, those people are going to go back to work. And Trump actually started talking about, look at the jobs report. I don't need to look at the jobs report, Donald. These people were out of work. They're going back to their original jobs. You didn't create those jobs, period. They're going back to their original job. Yes, a small percentage branched out. Some became entrepreneurs. But for the most part, those people went back to their original jobs. And if you go around any town in the United States right now, major metropolitan area, you're going to see higher signs. We need people. We need people. So Joe wants to talk about reduced unemployment. These people are still trying to fill the initial jobs that were vacated from the lockdown in 2020. So of those seven issues, oh, I forgot one. I did forget one, I think. No, I didn't. Those were the seven that Newsweek came up with. Well, how many hold water? One. The infrastructure bill. Now, that bridge that he was standing in front of, and I think it was New Hampshire, I want to go back in two years and see if that bridge has been redone. Because remember, when Obama was in office and he was in Ohio and there was that steel trust bridge behind him, and he said emphatically, that bridge will be rebuilt. Well, unless they've done it in the last few years, they didn't touch it during the Obama years. Now, one thing I do understand, for those of you that don't, when it comes to construction, just because money has been appropriated, especially on new projects, people are under the impression that that job starts immediately. That's not the way it works. 
Dallas is a perfect example. If we're bidding on a project that's a bond package, they will have the year the bond was passed. It's on the front page of the prints. On the average with the city of Dallas, it took three to five years for those prints to be developed because you got to go through right-of-way acquisition. And that is a real tough one. You got to work with all the homeowners. If you're widening a secondary street, you got to deal with business owners. If you're getting into their right-of-way, it doesn't happen overnight. In fact, I have worked on three jobs, four jobs with the city of Dallas where they bid the job and they didn't have the right-of-way. Hell, one job, it was a $50,000 project over by Northwest Highway and uh, the toll road over around the Preston Center. And my bid was $50,000. I was lower, 55, something like that. And then I come to find out the city can't do the job because they hadn't bought any of the right-of-way. And when they asked the owners what they wanted, the owner said $60,000. Well, hell, that's more than what the job was going to cost. Needless to say, that job was killed. I worked on a street in Mohawk. They didn't buy one piece of property. We couldn't touch that area until the city came to terms. I worked on Mockingbird from 75 going east towards uh, Greenville. They hadn't acquired the right-of-way at what was a hotel back then. Oh, that really screwed. That job waited two years to be built until they got it. Do you think we got a price increase waiting on them to pull their collective heads out? No, we just had to wait. Trinity Mills was another one. So you have to obtain the right-of-way. You've got to get with utility companies and say, these are going to be the improvements. What do you have out there? What's got to be moved? There's a lot that goes in to doing a street. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, if a city or a county or state, any municipality is aware of, okay, if we ever get the money, these are the projects we are going to prioritize. Let's get, let's get the design done so when we get the money, we can go. Now, if they don't have the money for the right-of-way, they can have the design in place. Now, the right-of-way department needs to get off their collective asses and get out there and start buying property and making deals. So let's say two years. And then if a property owner doesn't want to agree to it, all they got to say is two words, eminent domain. Take what we offer or we're going to take it from you. What you want to do. Good question. But as far as I know, that bridge in Ohio has yet to be rebuilt. Okay. You know, I think that just about covers it for today. Make sure.
But yeah, his press conference, that was the most uninspiring. Oh, what else did he do? Our foreign policy is pathetic now. Blinken's an idiot. Blinken thinks he must be from Chamberlain School. I'm waiting for him to come out with a piece of paper in his hand and say, we have peace in our time. And then the Russians invade Ukraine. What are we going to do if they invade Ukraine? Nothing. What can we do? You really want to go to war with Russia? Sanctions aren't going to do a damn thing to Putin. He's not going to care. I mean, look at all the sanctions we have on Iran, and they're going full speed ahead with their nuclear program. I mean, when Trump was elected, within a week, everyone I knew on the left was up in arms. We're going to war. Trump's going to take us to war. Trump got us out of wars. And that's why he and Maddox locked horns. Trump was not going to let the military-industrial complex dictate policy to him. He said enough is enough. Why are we there? Of course, Joe made excuses. He, He did say, well, I felt bad about those 13 soldiers that were killed. Well, if you'd have done the drawdown better and done it properly, it probably wouldn't have happened. But he still left a lot of Americans there. It was a pathetic evacuation. And I said it before, the British handled Dunkirk a hell of a lot better than Biden could ever talk about. And he said it was the greatest airlift in history. No, the greatest airlift in history was the Berlin airlift. When Russia locked out West Berlin from the world, they turned off the water, they turned off the heat, they turned off the power. And we flew planes 24 hours a day for like 14 or 15 months to keep Berliners fed and warm and clothed. That was an accomplishment. Joe, you didn't accomplish a damn thing other than showing utter incompetence from your administration and the military. The military, the guys in charge of that should have had their asses kicked. Good Lord. Does China fear us? No. Does North Korea fear us? No. Does Iran? No. The people living in, does Russia? No. Those living in fear right now are Japan, Taiwan, South Korea. The Ukraine and Russia, God, these people don't like each other. Do a history check. They've never liked each other, even during World War II. The Ukrainians didn't care for Stalin. Their love was for Mother Russia. That was their love was for the land, for the country. It wasn't for the government in Moscow. And when you read the history, you'll find out those people had a choice. Do we accept Hitler? Do we accept Stalin? Well, when the Germans invaded, 
in June of 1941, June 22nd, they actually greeted the Germans as liberators. And then they found out what the Germans had in store for them. So, and there are pictures of the women with flowers greeting the Wehrmacht. Well, then here came the SS and the Einsatzengruppen. And here came the harsh restrictions. And here came the labor camps and everything else. And they realized, why are we trading one yoke for another? Okay. We thought you people were going to treat us well. You're not. So we're going to fight you. We don't like Stalin, but we love our country. You obviously don't. So we are going to come together and kick you the hell out. And they did. They bled the German army white in the plains and the steppes of Eastern Europe. The most barbaric war in history. What went on in Eastern Europe is just horrendous. I've read hundreds of accounts. And we were saved the worst of the war. Yeah, we had the Battle of the Bulge. But imagine having the Battle of the Bulge for three years. Imagine that. And that is how bad the Eastern Theater was. You didn't want to be there. It was human barbarity at its worst. It was bad. That's why 20 million people died out there just on the Russian side. And the German losses were just horrendous. I remember one event, I forgot the exact area, but the Germans were retreating. The Russians had them outflanked. They didn't realize it. And this whole division is going through a valley. They've got to come up to a river. The Russians have already crossed the river, have sealed off the bridges, and are commanding all the high area around this valley. And even some of the Russian officers in their accounts were sickened at the carnage that they were turning on their adversaries because they killed like 20,000 in this valley in about a week. Because the Germans got bottled up. They tried to cross the river. They drowned when they realized that the West Bank was held by the enemy. There was an island out in the middle of the river. I don't think it was the bug. No, it wasn't the river bug. I'll have to look that up again. But they just slaughtered an entire division, just wiped them out. And the orders were, don't stop until they're all dead. And they were. But it, it was horrible. It was just, it was a slaughter. Three years of it. We were saved. The worst of World War II. Okay. I'll go back for a little plug if you like this content 
they have five ways that you can support this station. All contributions are welcome. They start at $299, $599, $999. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, they've got a platinum service. And I think the other one was a gold service, but I'm not sure. I need your support to keep the show going. It's been a tough year. I've had a lot of help from a lot of people. But more is needed. You know, these seminars, like I said, they're not long. They're not lengthy. I'm not going to take up a whole day of your employee's time. Because within 20 minutes, you lose people. And I've been to some of these where it's like, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you going to say anything of importance yet? I've been to those and they just drive me nuts. It's like, just give me the facts and let's move on. And that's what it's all about. And I give you the facts and we move on. So one to two hours. That's the max. I, don't, I mean, two hours would actually be too much. Within an hour, we can cover the concepts and the strategies that I've used in 35 years of construction. We're just going to break it down to the brass tacks and move forward. I give pointed opinions. I give pointed examples and then you can ask pointed questions we're not going to dance around issues we're going to address issues and that for me is what it's all about i mean the book itself is only like 105 pages cutting to the chase but you can read it and even a slow reader probably two hours at the most because it's only content and that's what people are craving for is content. And that's what I give you. And that's all I want to give you. I, I wipe away the BS and get down to the points. And then if you're interested in dropping weight, getting more energy, go to my Facebook page, Jeff Dawson. And you'll see my Herbalife posts. Since I am a distributor. And we'll get you back in shape. And yes, I know some people probably say, how can he talk about health and he smokes? Well, I'm working on that. That is my one vice. I can't drink anymore. I don't do drugs. But nicotine is something that I have used as a crutch for about 40 years. But we're working on that. And yeah, I'm not going to say Herbalife helps with it, but as a reminder of if you're going to do this, then why don't you stop doing that? And that's where I can look at the book, A New Pair of Glasses. He was addicted to alcohol. I am addicted to nicotine. They're both damaging. They both harm the body, mind, and soul. So I am working on cutting back to the point that I will quit because I've had my scare with cancer 
we'll know in March just what the PSA is, but everyone is very upbeat and positive, as am I, in moving forward. So, yeah, will I miss it? Why lie? Absolutely. But if it's going to extend my life 25 years, quality life, then I think it's definitely worth putting down. It's not going to happen overnight, but it will happen. And that is the end of this show. I hope you enjoyed it. When they release this, leave comments because that drives the material that I cover. If you like what you hear, write a comment there. If you don't like what you hear, write a comment about that. All opinions are accepted. All constructive criticism is accepted. It's just like writing a book. The hard part is editing it. The hard part is having others look at it with a different pair of glasses and start pointing out the flaws in your story. And if you don't have the backbone to deal with constructive criticism, then find a different line of, uh, find a different career path. Because as a writer, you better be wide open to criticism. Because there isn't a book written that everybody likes. That's just a fact. I've had my share of one-star reviews, but I took them in stride. I learned from them. So when somebody criticizes my work, I listen to them. I catalog it. I digest it. I reread the passage or passages or chapters to see if they have a valid point. And if they do, then adjustments are made. If I disagree with what they said, then I move on. But that doesn't mean I've forgotten it. Because I'll say this real quick before I end this end this episode. That in Occupation, I got blasted on a one-star review. But that reviewer... We've got about 30 three, seconds. Okay, three or four others had said the same thing. And I went through, gave that book an enema, and it's a much better read. I appreciate the time we spent today. Y'all have a great weekend. I'll talk to you in two weeks. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites LDDJ Enterprises, and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJEnterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.